0: You do have a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to take a look at several of those uh, scriptures. And um, as we continue our series in the family. And uh, each week it's, it's getting pretty difficult for me Because I said uh, in the beginning That no one really feels like they have the perfect marriage Or the perfect family And uh, it's hard for me to act like uh, I'm giving instruction as a perfect husband um, Or as a perfect parent as well As I've studied these things They have challenged me And uh, many times it's hard to preach these things And teach these things Because um, they're easy preaching and hard living And uh, by our memory verse you already know this is going to be a tough one because what we say and how we communicate makes a big, big difference in our life. And we started this series talking about fighting for your family or um, family matters and the biblical truth um, that we have that we can equip ourselves for a godly marriage and a godly family and a godly home or for you to have a future godly family, godly home and a future for those things. But we know it takes commitment. It takes commitment to God. It takes commitment to God's Word, and you got to be willing to fight for it. And many people have given up they have thrown in the towel, they have gone the way of the world, they've let it squeeze it into its mold, and they have given up on marriage. And if it was easy, everyone would have a great marriage, right? If it was easy, everyone would have a great home. But we know it, it, takes, it takes toughness, it takes commitment, it takes a standard in your family, in your home. And you got to be determined to not let your family or your marriage go the way of the world. And, and for us as Christians, it is uh, for us to fight for that and to fight for God's principles in the marriage. We begin in the first message talking about marriage is God's plan. Why do we have marriage? Because God created marriage. God created male. He created female and he put them together. Genesis two twenty four. That's why a man leaves his mother and his father. He's united with his wife and they become one flesh. He put them together. You say, well, that's great. God made man. God made woman. He put them together and everything has been great ever since, right? Everybody that's married is laughing right now, all right? Because that's not the way that it happens because sin entered the world. Sin is in mankind. Sin is in every single human being. And when God created man, he created him in a perfect environment without sin. But yet Adam chose to sin. And through that sin, we all have inherited a sinful nature. We have a sinful nature. We have a sinful nature that will choose sin. And because of that, when two sinful people get together... In a marriage union, it becomes a, a sometimes a ticking time bomb, because there are two sinful people that has to reconcile major differences. And if we don't go to the gospel we talked about this a couple weeks ago if we don't go to the, the foundation of God, then it, it's, it's, it's things that happen in our marriage that will not last, that will not be productive. And for us as Christians, we have to really uh, pursue God's uh, gospel in our lives. And the redemption of God is more or greater than our sin. And when we get to our marriages, we are sinners, but we don't have to stay in our sin. We we can be different without being uh, disgusted with one another. We can have differences without being irreconcilable. We can have these things through redemption of God, not just in our life, but redeeming our marriage as well, that through Christ, he can make something in our marriage that could never be made uh, any other way. So two redeemed people come under the name of Jesus Christ, have a marriage that is honoring to God, to have a family and a home and children who honor God. And that's full of meaning and it's full of purpose and it's full of, of, of what we want to see as Christians. And we know, like I said, no one has the perfect marriage, uh, marriage. There's no perfect husband. Ladies, that was your chance to shout amen. All right. I mean, you missed it. I had to do the ladies first because hopefully you guys catch on. There is no perfect wife. Oh, all right. You guys, you guys ain't getting nothing to eat today. <laughs> uh, there is no perfect wife, right? No one is perfect. And the question is in our marriage, not if we mess up, but when we mess up. Like what, what is it? What are we going to do? What are we going to do when we have these differences? What are we going to do when we have these, uh, when we have conflict? Because it's not if you're going to have it, it's when you have it. Husband and wife are going to have conflict. You're going to have conflict over your finances. You're going to have conflict over uh, where to eat. You're going to have conflict over how you raise your children a certain ways. You're going to have conflict over uh, certain things. And when the conflict comes, what's going to happen? How does this happen? Well, this morning, I want to talk about something very important in marriage. It's called communication. Communication is, in marriage is very vital. Communication in marriage is like oil to an engine oil in an engine keeps everything lubricated and there's a lot of parts that uh, rub together and they they go together and they 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 they, uh, interact with one another but as the oil is inside of it it keeps it smooth and it keeps it interacting everything works together produce the common goal but when the oil breaks down or the oil leaks out all of a sudden those little parts start getting friction And then the friction begins to become overheated and the bearings and parts begin to break down. And next thing you know, sometimes you have a major blowout. Your engine blows up. Well, communication in marriage is like that oil. If you have great communication or godly communication, all those little parts are lubricated and they run smoothly. You can, you can talk about your kids, you can talk about finances, you can talk about anything. And with good communication, everything works well. But when the communication breaks down, all of a sudden it starts some friction. It starts some parts breaking down. It starts to have uh, overheating. And as it, as it causes overheating, sometimes it causes marriages to blow up. It causes marriages to have catastrophic failure. And this morning, I want to work through these few scriptures in Ephesians. Now, Paul wrote this to the church at Ephesus. So if you're here and you're not married, or if you're too young or you're not married, you can look to these scriptures and see how not just to treat someone in your marriage, but to treat someone in contact with your everyday life, how to treat your friends, how to treat your schoolmates, or how to teach your teammate, or how to treat your teammates. It is, it is how a Christian is to function in relationships. And Paul wrote this to the church of Ephesus, and Ephesus was known as a church of love. But when we read Revelation, we realize something happened to the church of love. In the, in the book of Revelation, we realize that church of Ephesus became known as the loveless church. They had left their first love. So they had love, but now they were known as one who left their first love. And so Paul writes this letter to correct them. He writes this letter to address the issues or the behavior that led them to becoming loveless. Of how did this happen from a loving, caring church to one that is loveless who left their first love, which was Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're going to take the portion of Scripture that Paul wrote uh, to to the church at Ephesus here. We're going to try to apply this to our lives and apply it to our marriages. So Ephesians 4, 29 uh, through verse 32. I'm reading now the New King James Version. So it says this, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So when you come to these verses, you realize that Paul is instructing them about communication. Communication with one another that was affecting their communication and their love for God. I've said this before. You can write it down. It's true. If you're wrong with people, you're going to be wrong with God. If you're right with people, you can be right with God. I'm going to tell you, you cannot have a godly, god-oriented marriage if you're wrong with your spouse. Because God is not going to be right in your life if you're wrong with people. If you love God, you're going to love people. If you're having trouble loving people, it's more likely the problem. You're not loving God the way that you should, because if you love God, you're going to love people and you communicate that through those things. Even in your own marriage, you got to realize through that relationship that as you love God, you can love one another and the communication begins to flow. But at the church of Ephesus, they were struggling. They were struggling because they left their first love and now they were bickering with one another. They were arguing with one another. They had division amongst one another. They were were fighting amongst a group. And the same is true in our marriage. He begins with the, the point of communication. He says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. The very first word, let. This is important. This is important because the word let means that we are responsible for what we say. The word let means an, a will or an action that you have control over. You ever heard someone says, I didn't mean to say that. Yes, you did. <laughs> that, that comes straight out of your heart because you, you choose what you say and you choose what you don't say. And we have to control what we say and what we don't say. And we are the only one responsible for saying it and controlling our words. You cannot blame it on someone else. Say, you don't know what they did. You don't know how they talked to me. You don't know the way they treated me. No, you choose what you say and what you don't say. And you have no excuses. We must take responsibility for that. What you say in your marriage, what you say to other people, you are accountable for. You are accountable for that because you cannot say you could not help yourself. And you must take control of it and we must choose what we let come out of our mouths and what we let stay in our mouths. Have you ever sent a text message and you realize you sent it to the wrong person? No matter how bad you want to take it back, guess what? You can't take it back. It's the same with words. Once we let them go through our lips, we can't take them back. Once we let someone hear it, once we let someone uh, hear what we got to say, we can't let it, we can't take it back. And we're the ones responsible for what we say and what we don't say. You can't say, I say this to my wife because she does this. And your wife can't say, I do. I say this because he does this or he does that. You can't say that. You can't say, I did. I said that to my teacher because they were mean or they were rude. Or I said this to my coach because he was yelling at me. You can't say that because you control what you say. You control it. And Paul says, let no corrupt word come out of your mouth. Do you know what corrupt here means? Corrupt means rotten or garbage. <laughs> he says, "Let no garbage or rot come out of your mouth." Uh, of, of, of you think about it, the things that we say sometimes to our spouses, the things we say sometimes to the people that we love. I think if we could put a screen up this morning and all my words can be put up on this screen, I think I would be embarrassed about some of the things I might have said. And before you look too religious, I could put yours up here too. (laughs) And if you don't want to admit it, I'm sure I could get your spouse to admit it. That you would be embarrassed as well. And sometimes we speak to those who we love the most with the the biggest amount of garbage and rot. True. We, We speak that way and we speak to our spouse's words we've never said to anyone else. We speak to our parents the way that we would never speak to a, to, a, to a friend or a coach or someone else's parents. We speak to those in our lives that we would never allow anyone else to say to them, or to, to them uh, themselves that we, we would guard them. But yet we say them. We use corrupt words. We use garbage words. What are some garbage words? What are some corrupt words we use? Insults. No one can insult your spouse better than you. You know it. You know exactly what to say, and you know exactly what to attack, and you know exactly how to insult someone. And we use those insults. You never do this. You always do this, and you never do that. And we put people down, and we we insult. That's garbage. Uh, marriage shouldn't be built upon insults. When you insult your spouse or you insult your chil- children, it's not good. It's not. It's not fitting in a home. It's not fitting to come out of a Christian's mouth to put others down to build yourself up. Insults is garbage. Hateful speech. When when we speak hateful or mean, it's garbage. When we exaggerate a fault, all sorts of garbage. And I could guarantee you that most damage is done in marriage because of garbage words that we have said. Corrupt words. Most damage in, damages in a parent and son or a parent and daughter relationship comes from words that was said. When we say things that we, we, we say mean things, we say insults and we say hateful things, we say corrupt things. Paul says, let no garbage come out of your mouth. Now, if we stopped the sermon right there and we lived by that this week, I think we would all have better marriages and better lives. Right. If we would just stop the garbage, stop running our mouths, let no corrupt garbage proceed out of your mouth. And we must learn how to keep our mouth shut. Like I said, most time it's not what you say, it's what you don't what you don't say that matters. And if we could keep our mouth shut, all oh, the pain and the heartache that we, can, we could keep our marriages from going to when we just learn to not say any garbage. Let no corrupt words come out of your mouth. But then he moves on. But what is necessary or what is good and necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. So he, he, he draws a contrast here. Garbage, insults, hateful speech. But now he says, let what is good. So hold back the hatred, the insults, but now let, let the good come out. What is good? Wholesome things. These are things that are not garbage. These are words that are good. Words that resolve conflict. Words that encourage. Words that lift people up. That's what he says. Necessary edification. It's using words that build the other person up, whether your spouse or your child or someone you come into contact with. Keep your mouth shut, the insults and the garbage, but use the words that are, necess- that are good and necessary edification. If you want someone to value and respect you, you must use good and necessary words that, use, uh, that are used for edification. And let me tell you, it's hard. It's hard to do this because sometimes in the midst of the battle, you want to make sure you win the argument, right? You want to make sure that you win the fight. You want to make sure that you win the issue. So you want to insult. You want to put down and you don't want to say good things because you don't want to build the other person up. The reason why you don't want to build them up is you might have to admit you were wrong. I said, when we first got married, I had a lot of things that I wanted God to change about Aaron. But I realized as I prayed through him, guess who was the one who needed to change? was me and a lot of times we get an issue we get an argument we don't want to know what's right we want we we want to know we want to make sure we're right and we don't say good things we don't say edifying things we don't say things that builds one another up because we're too worried about winning the argument or winning the fight necessary edification that's an interesting term it means that our speech is to build up instead of tearing down so if you're saying something to your spouse that you know that will tear them down, you should not say it, but you should say something that always builds them up. When you go into an argument or you go into a disagreement, hopefully your goal is reconciliation, not just desolation or deterioration. You have to learn that the goal is not to win the battle, it's to win the war. And when you win the war, it's together that you both are built up together and once you tear your spouse down, you're really tearing yourself down. It's like destroying yourself. And we must use words that are good and we must use words that are edifying. We must use words that are building one another up. And we must impart grace to the hearer. Grace is unmerited favor. Whether they deserve it or not, by what you say, you should not leave someone feeling worthless or feeling sorry you should impart grace to them. And listen, good words that build up and bring grace to another words to the other person always builds reconciliation. It always does. And for you and for me, the question is, how do you resolve conflict? Are you one that has to win every argument? Are you one that has to tear the other person down at all costs? Do you have to insult? Do you have to tear down? Do you have to verbally abuse your spouse until you make them feel so bad about themselves that you win the argument? Because that's not what Paul says works. Paul says in an argument or in a disagreement or when you come together that we must use good and necessary edification and and for those that impart grace to one another, why would you want to tear down your spouse like that? Why would you want to damage your marriage like that? Not just that for anyone. Who would want to be friends with someone that was always tearing them down or insulting them? Who would want to be friends with someone who was always bringing uh, something to, to, to lift themselves up and tear others down? No one would. And so Paul says, make sure that you are not saying garbage. Make sure you're using good and, and good words that bring grace to the hearer. And then he throws this in there. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And this one's pretty much, pretty much the most important one. He put it right in the middle of this uh, couple scriptures. When we speak ugly and we tear each other down, we grieve the Holy Spirit. You ask yourself, what does grieve the Holy Spirit means? Well, to grieve means to cause shame or heartache to someone or something which leads to a removal of their presence. If you grieve something so long, eventually the presence, their presence will be gone. So in this term, when we think about it, when we're mean, when we're ugly, when we're carrying on and we're, we're insulting one another and we're trying to win the war, you know what the Holy Spirit does? Mm, I don't want no part of that. And, they, and he retracts. To grieve means to, to, to bring someone shame or heartache. And that's how far marriages can go. Sin and hatred. And that the Holy Spirit retracts and all that's left is the flesh. And when you have two fleshly people arguing and insulting, let me tell you, it's, it's ugly. It's something that Christians shouldn't be a part of. It's something that Christians shouldn't be, uh, be in contact with. And not just that, with anyone. When you have conflict with someone on the job and you start insulting, you start using words you're not supposed to do, the Holy Spirit retracts. Let me tell you, you're in a world of hurt. Because you're going to react to what your flesh says to do. And your flesh is not going to tell you to be kind. It's not going to tell you to be, do the right thing. It's going to lead to something you're going to regret. You're going to lose your testimony. And, and when we get into flesh, it's, it's bad. It's especially when you get into flesh and you say things and you do things that are too far. And, and when we get into flesh and the Holy Spirit retracts, it gets ugly. And you see marriages like this. You see relationships like this. When the Holy Spirit's in your marriage, it's, it brings joy. There's no greater joy than when you're living in unity with God and with your spouse and and you're living in your family. It's great joy. When when the Holy Spirit is grieved, there's no peace. There's constant turmoil and contentiousness. When you're you're not living in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is grieved. There's no kindness. There's no long suffering. There's no gentleness. There's no self-control. All the fruits of the Spirit are gone. And all of a sudden you have two people Two sinful people living in the flesh, attacking one another, trying to win the argument, trying to win the battle. And the Holy Spirit is grieved and the presence of the Holy Spirit is gone. The only thing that's left is two fleshly people tearing one another down for survival. Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put put away from you with all malice. There's the word let again. So your choice of what you say, you have a choice of that. And what you retain in your heart, you have a choice now. So what you say and also what you have in your heart, now you have that same, you have that same control. And he says, what's in your heart? He says, I want you to remove these things. Let all bitterness. You say, what's bitterness? Bitterness is a lingering anger from past offenses." That it just kind of leaves a little bitter taste in your mouth no matter what happens or what's in your marriage. You always have this little bitter ringing taste to it. Similar when you use a coffee cup so long that the coffee gets into the cup. And when you go to use the cup with a drink of clean cup of water, guess what happens? You taste that little bitter taste of coffee, right? That's what bitterness is. It's not something you can put your finger on. It's just something that just a little uh, bitterness in your heart. Just that little bit of lingering anger from past offenses that you haven't let go of. A little bitterness. You think about the next thing he says, the bitterness and then wrath. Wrath is an outburst of anger. Even when you just blow your cool, when you just blow up. It's like a, 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 bubble, a boiling water that boils over the top. He said, let, let no bitterness, let no outbursts of anger, let no anger, which is a long period of ill will towards someone. It's when you wake up in the morning, you think about hurting that person, or you want to, you're angry with that person, and you go to bed at night, you're still angry with that person. You know, in the Bible, it tells you, do not let your son, the sun go down upon your wrath. You know why? Because when you do, you give the devil a foothold, and when you have one day of anger, Turns into two days of anger, it turns into a week of anger, turns into a year of anger, and let me tell you, when you get a little foothold in you, it's hard to get rid of it the longer you let it stay. And when you get to the point where you have anger and outbursts and bitterness, and then he says clamor. Now, I think of that word clamor. It's like when I asked Courtney to put up the dishes in the dishwasher. I'm in there and all of a sudden you hear pots and pans bang, clang, boom, slamming the things Say. Do you really have to do it that hard? What? (laughs) I'm like, I could tell you're mad. You're clamoring. You know what I mean? You're clamoring all the dishes. And that's what happens in marriage. You begin to clamor. It's a fight to go to work. It's a fight to stay home. It's a fight to, to do anything. It's just a fight. It's a bunch of clamor. There's no peace. It's always constantly something repeated anger over and over again. And it goes for a long time. It leads to evil speaking. That's where you take it to the next level. And you want everyone else to feel the same way you do. So all of a sudden you start calling their parents. And you start calling their friends. And you start calling those who know them and say, do you know what they're doing? Do you know how they're acting? And you begin to tear them down and speak evil of them. Tell you, when you get to this point in your marriage, you're in trouble. You get to this point with anyone in in a relationship, you're in trouble. Paul says, Let none of these things, let none of them, let them all be put away from you. This has no place in a Christian marriage. This has no place in a Christian home. He says, Do not let it even have a foothold in it. You can make the choice and decide that this is not going to mark my marriage. Some of us grew up, and some of you may have marriages where your parents were married and they always argued and they always fought and they always had anger and yelling and screaming. You don't be like that. You, make, you take the stand and say, that's not going to mark my marriage. We're not going to be unkind. We're not going to say hateful things. And these things don't have to be a part of your home. you can got to fight against them. Paul says, let no corrupt communication and let none of these things, anger, clamor, uh, bitterness, be a part of your marriage or your family because it will destroy it. He says, not just the negative, but then he moves to the positive. He says, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ has forgiven you. Paul comes and says, makes this contrast. Not this, but this. Be kind to one another. If Paul was a southerner, he'd say, y'all be sweet now. All right. <laughs> That's what he'd say. Y'all be sweet. Be kind, it's a verb. It's actively pursuing kind things to your spouse and to your family. It's doing little things that make your spouse know that you care about them, you love them, and regardless of what's happening, you express love to them in practical, kind ways. You don't have to open the door for your wife because she can't open the door. It's an act of kindness. Kindness. You don't have to bring in the, uh, the mail or do certain things or whatever it is in your family that you do. You don't have to do those things because they can't do them. You do them because you're kind to them. Because you want to do those things. You want to be kind. You want to be sweet. You want to be uh, 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 together. And you want to do something that's kind for them. Be kind to one another and tenderhearted. Sometimes we get so hard-hearted that we lose our Compassion. It's to be vulnerable to your spouse. It's to listen to them. It's to hear what they have to say. I was reading one commentary and he said that you always should be approachable to your spouse. Approachable meaning that you should be tender hearted enough that whatever they come to you with, you're, you're there and you care for them, you have compassion for them. They know that you have compassion for them. Not bothered, not cold. My phone rings a lot during the day, and it rings, and I have to have one of the most annoying uh, ringtones there is: the loud old-school ringtones, you know. It's very, very loud. And people call for work and people call for this, and people call for all sorts of different things. And when Aaron calls, it's the same thing. So when I pick it up, one of my temptations is that I'm not so tender-hearted, like, "What do you need?" Well, if you're going to answer the phone like that, I don't even need to talk to you. <laughs> And she's told me, if you can't be kind and you can't be nice, then don't even answer the phone. And it's, it's true and for us as Christians, for us as a spouse. Why are we not tender hearted? Why are we not kind? Why are we rude to those who are who are closest to us? And it's a temptation that we have. But it, Paul says, if you want a great marriage, if you want great communication, be tender hearted, be kind. Those things, those things are like oil in a relationship. Those hard times in the morning when you're both are tired and when you're fighting through struggles, and you're doing the same thing. When you have communication, it makes it go a lot better. It doesn't bring friction. It doesn't bring a breakdown. And Paul concludes it all with this phrase, forgiving one another with the same measure as Christ has forgiven you. Two people can't live together and make it in a relationship without forgiveness. Not going to make it. Forgiveness is one of those things that's essential. And part of our communication is hindered, or most of our communication will be hindered if we don't forgive one another. Forgiving someone is not forgetting the offense. It's no longer holding the person responsible for the offense. It's coming to the point where you realize someone has wronged you, yes, but you no longer hold that offense to them. We forgive them. And he says, how do you forgive them? You forgive them as Christ has forgiven you. When we think about how Christ has forgiven us, He's forgiven us unconditionally. He's forgiven us uh, uh, repeatedly. He forgives us without offense over and over and over and over again. Forgiving one another with the same measure as Christ has forgiven you. You know what I love about forgiveness? It's like a new start. It's like cleaning the slate. It's like beginning again. And Paul says, in your communication, in your marriage, you got to clean the slate. You got to wipe all those things aside. You got to wipe those things that are wrong and you got to you got to call together for one another to forgive one another just as Christ has forgiven you. I'd love to give you something practical about your marriage and expressing positive communication towards one another. You know you and your spouse have love languages. You guys ever heard of the book or read any of Gary Chapman's stuff it's about the five love languages, anybody? Well, he basically outlines five love languages, and we communicate with our spouse the way that we love them through these love languages. You have a love language, it's a primary one, and you have a secondary one, and your spouse has a primary one, and they have a secondary one. Most of the time, they're different love languages. That's where the friction comes in, because you try to express your love language to them, but that's not their love language. So they don't understand that you're expressing love to them. And so they look to their love language and say, well, they're not doing this, but you feel, you feel wrong because you were doing it in your love language. So, so the point being is that you've got to identify the love language and you've got to speak your spouse's love language. And as you express this love to them, you express how you love them in such a way that you express these love languages to them. There's five of them. I'll just run through them, but I encourage you to get on the website if you've never taken uh, one of the tests or never taken uh, understanding them. You'll probably be able to pick them out pretty quick if you've been married uh, anytime for any time, any anytime. Uh, anytime. <laughs> but first one's words of affirmation. In simple terms, the words of affirmation love language expresses a love through spoken words. When you say I love you, when you say kind words. When you encourage them, when you say you're the best, when you share uplifting quotes or when you send them text messages or you compliment them or point them out and you verbalize those things to them, they love them. They light up like a Christmas tree. They, they love those words of affirmation. They need someone to verbally tell them how nice they look or how great they did or, or how they've done this. It's words of affirmation. See, those who have that love, they're smiling right now because they're realizing that. When they leave here, their husband's gonna say, "Look how nice you look today, honey." <laughs> if you were smart, you would do that. Uh, words, words of affirmation. Second one, quality time. Love and affection is expressed through this love language, and it gives someone when someone gives them their undivided attention. Now, this is not spending time with someone while you're working on a project. It's not spending time with someone when you're looking through your phone or looking through your uh, computer. It's when you make eye contact with someone. I know some of you just shivered when I said that, didn't you? Make eye contact with someone. You, you, this, this kind of love language takes quality over quantity. That they would rather spend 10 minutes of quality time with someone to, to let them be focused on, to be loved, to be heard from, and making eye contact with the other person, not offering advice, but just spending time with them. They don't want to be fixed. They just want to be heard. And not to go back with them and tell them all how to fix all their problems, but just to sit there and listen and, uh, and understand and to quietly spend time with them, quality time. Third one's physical touch. Person with this love language feels love through physical affection. These are the ones that were always in trouble at school for PDA. All right, anyways. <laughs> all the teachers knew that joke. Their love language is shown through physical touch. Holding their hand, touching their arm, giving them a massage, whatever it may be, uh, it's, it's physical touch. Fourth one's acts of service. When someone's primary love language is acts of service, they feel loved and appreciated when people do nice things for them. Like putting gas in their car or washing their uh, vehicle or doing little things that go straight to the person's heart to know that you cared enough for them to do something for them. You did an act of service for them. The last one is receiving gifts. To a person whose love language is receiving gifts, it's gift giving. It's not that you spend a lot of money on the gift, but you spend a lot of time on the gift. That you put quality thought behind it. That you took the time to go find something. You took the time to buy them something. And it's not so much how much it costs, but it means that you cared enough to go find it and give it to them and give them a gift. Those are the five. Receiving gifts. Receiving gifts. Acts of service, physical touch, quality time, and words of affirmation. And when you think about it, in our marriages, that's what we need to focus on. We need to cut the garbage out, stop insulting, stop tearing down, stop pointing out all the wrongs. We got to be kind and tender hearted, and we got to forgive one another, and we got to focus on positive communication with one another, expressing our love for one another. That you love each other and that love together is greater than any love that's on the face of the earth. So much so that God says you leave, your husband, you leave your mom and your dad and you join together as one flesh. And when you love someone like that, you express your love to them in these love languages. Whether it's, it's physical touch or quality time or acts of service or receiving gifts that they know that they know that you love them. Let me tell you, it takes sacrifice. It takes fighting for because it, it just don't happen. And when you do that, communicating and communication is like the oil, all those little things are lubricating. You're not arguing over certain little things. You're not fighting over the small things. You're not always blowing your top. You're not always uh, insulting one another. You love one another. You know you love one another. And you're communicating in a way that's kind. And you're communicating in a way that's tender hearted. You're communicating in a way in a love that brings honor and glory to God. That's what you should hope for. And not to tear one another down, not to speak garbage, but to express love to one another and to build them up and to reconcile your differences in a godly way. And come together and love Jesus and to be honoring to the Lord. Let's pray together this morning.